0: Jokic behind his back. What it uh, tastes like, Jokic? That's
1: your sitter? Wow. Uh, as long as they're fans, I'm disappointed. That's all I care about. So the Warrior fans are coming here. The Celtics fans are here. The Lakers fans are coming here. Take that L on the way
0: out. Jokic. Here comes the
1: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. It is your host, Zach Nikosh with DenverStiffs.com, rolling solo once again. Gordon was just too depressed, man. That's what we're going to say. Just too depressed after that rough Denver Nuggets loss in Game 2 on Sunday there. That was last night. Um, Well, we're recording this Sunday night, but we'll say it's last night anyways, uh, since this is coming out on Monday, I know. Um... So, yeah, it'll just be me once again this week. We, uh, we are getting Gordon back here. Uh, he should be back next week, I would imagine. So, nothing, nothing, uh, going on there. Just Gordon. Like I said, he was just too broken up from the, from the Denver Nuggets loss to be able to make it onto the podcast. That's what we're gonna say. So, uh, anyways, let's, uh, yeah, I mean, let's, let's get into it. Obviously, last week when we spoke, the Nuggets were still trying to overcome the other team from Los Angeles. They did that. They come back all the way down from, um, three games to one to beat the Los Angeles Clippers in seven. Some would say the, um, the best victory in Denver Nuggets franchise history. It's certainly up there, uh, with you think of, you know, things like game five against the Seattle Supersonics back in 1994. Uh, I think about the 09 game. This is probably game three uh against the new orleans hornets when they i believe at the time set the playoff record for largest margin of victory i'm not sure if that's been beaten since um and there are you know there are also of course you know i mean let's go back you got to go back uh into what 70 oh, 76 maybe was the the aba finals year so obviously the year they clinched uh the probably the win to clinch uh, a trip to the aba finals has got to be up there as well but uh, the game seven win over, over the Los Angeles Clippers was, was a truly fantastic one. It seems, it seems like ages ago. And you're probably like, why is Zach still talking about this? So we'll just, we'll just move on. It's a shame we didn't get to break that one down. Um, just the way the schedule works when you only do a weekly pod and they're doing these, um, doing these playoff games every other day. So the Nuggets have obviously now played two games against the Los Angeles Lakers. They get blown out in game one and then they lose the heartbreaker last night. Uh, against the Lakers with Anthony Davis hitting the buzzer beater. I don't have a ton of, to talk about about Game One. I think everybody kind of really knows what that story was. Um, you know, I, I did the, I actually covered that game. I did the recap for for Stiffs on that one, and it's, uh really what it comes down to is they got a terrible whistle. I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and say that they didn't or or anything like that. Like they got an absolutely awful whistle, and it was ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. Uh, of a whistle in the second quarter there and the and the Lakers got so many free throws in the first half that basically the refs refused to give them free throws in the second half like it was and and it went the other way and the other thing I noticed you know Nikola Jokic like immediately gets that fourth foul um in the third quarter and there were some times in that fourth or in that third quarter and there were t- some times in that third quarter where he could have certainly been called for another foul he certainly did foul the Lakers and the refs swallowed their whistle because they didn't want to give uh, Nicola, his fifth foul there in the third quarter. So what I can say is this, like it doesn't matter that maybe they were trying to make it up in the second half. When you officiate a game so bad, so ridiculously one-sided like they did in the second quarter there, that you have to make clear and obvious attempts to make up for it in the second half. So now you're still officiating like crap. Like, it's just a complete failure, and and that, that's what it was. the The refereeing was a complete failure uh, in game one. But the thing about it is, we know that's going to happen. We know uh, the Lakers have. Uh, I mean, let's throw out like the conspiracy uh, theories about you know the NBA wants LA in the finals and all that. Which you know, I mean, there's 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 some. um interesting history there that you could you could make a case that the nba does these kind of things but let's even throw all that out let's throw out the conspiracy stuff and just let's put it at this like the lakers are one a team who's going to attack the basket they want to get out in transition they've got a lot of big athletic guys who are not afraid of contact at the rim they're going to force the issue they're going to make the refs make a decision a lot of times the other thing is uh, they're, I mean, they're they're very vocal about it. Like they they definitely uh, are probably arguing with the refs, bringing up things about the refereeing to the refs more than any other team in the NBA right now. That's you know, I mean, it's it's probably not the way you want to watch basketball. It's not the way anybody uh, wants to see things wins. But I mean, the Spurs laid that laid that blueprint uh, you know, over a decade ago. I mean, when 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 Tim Duncan and Manny Ginobili and Tony Parker were in their their primes in their heyday, uh I mean they they worked the refs very, very hard throughout the games. Uh the the Lakers are doing that now. And it's you know, LeBron is he he's 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 a veteran guy. He knows that he's a veteran guy and he knows he has more cachet in the league than anybody else. Um he knows that he can work the refs too and and get calls like that's that's how how it unfortunately works and and you knew that as the Denver Nuggets coming in um you're gonna have to, you're gonna go up against a tough whistle because the other team's the Los Angeles Lakers. They've got LeBron James and they're gonna be very vocal about the way they're officiated. They've been, they've been re- rewarded for being vocal about the way they're officiated all season long. They're certainly not gonna stop now in the playoffs. And I think the big thing that happened to the Nuggets there in that second quarter is yes, while it was completely ridiculous the way the game was being called, Like, there was still a game going on, and they kind of, they pulled themselves out of it. And they let that bad whistle get to them, and, and then the Lakers went on a huge run, and by the time, uh, by the time the Nuggets were able to kind of get their heads back in the game, it was the fourth quarter, it was garbage time, and it was over. So that's really, I mean, that's really what happened in game one. I don't think you look at, look at it much more than that. Game two, uh, a, a different story. Again, the rest maybe in some ways trying to compensate for, for Game 1 uh, gave the Nuggets, I thought, a pretty favorable whistle uh, throughout the game or at least a very evenly called game. So not a ton to complain about in terms of officiating there. The Nuggets, though, once again, I mean they just – they struggled. They gave themselves – they put themselves in a hole and then they had to fight back from it and and, and they almost do it. Uh, and Well, they do fight back from it but then they can't get it done in – in the final moments, I think the main thing I noticed in game two, a lot of things I noticed actually right off the bat and what I've noticed in game one and game two and, and what I said before before the start of this series was going to be an issue and, and it's definitely proved true is the Lakers' bigs are a problem for the Denver Nuggets. And this has been true um, of the Nicole Jokic-Paul Millsap pairing. Ever since that's been a pairing in the starting lineup, uh, this has been true when you've got uh, a team who can throw two uh, two bigs at you, who's not going to try and play small at the four position, who's going to put, uh, a guy in there who could honestly play a lot of center, uh, but is not just like some slow, plodding Ivica Zubats guy. And again, I love Ivica Zubats, but you know, is, is an athletic and, and, and strong and quick kind of guy like Anthony Davis. Like you are going to have problems. And that's why when you've got Javel McGee and Dwight Howard, uh, Dwight Howard in particular in this series has been a problem that is um, that makes it very difficult for Jokic and it makes it very difficult for the Nuggets to do what they want to do because they can't they, they can keep one big on Jokic when he's operating out at the perimeter doing DHOs uh, running the pick and roll or two man game with with Jamal Murray and your cutters are still somewhat eliminated because you're probably got that other guy uh, sitting down low and then on the other hand, with with the Nuggets, you know, in, in particular in this this case against Anthony Davis, you know, it, it, Paul Millsap just gives up too much size. I mean, he just does. Like, Anthony Davis is just as strong as Paul Millsap. Usually that's where you kind of get an advantage uh, at the four is you've got – Millsap can just out most dudes. I mean, the dude's got gigantic shoulders. He's, he's wider uh, and more stocky than most power forwards in the league this day because uh, he's still kind of a throwback to the classic – uh, power forward. So in a lot of times it, it works out okay. But when you've got Anthony Davis, who is just as strong and is also, you know, I got like three inches on the guy. Like it's just uh, Paul Millsap is just, is just flat out outmatched. And it's, and it's really causing the nuggets um, a lot of difficulty, just like Dwight Howard is uh, when he's up against Nicole Jokic, because not that Jokic is not outmatched. And I mean, big kudos to Jokic because this has not been an easy matchup for him. This has, not been, um, the type of game that, or the type of, it's not been the Clippers, right? Like where, where, okay, they've got, they've got, like I said, they've got Zubots who's, who's got some sides you can throw at them, but it's really not going to, uh, stop Jokic in any way. I mean, this is a team with, with, uh, Anthony Davis, who's an all, all defensive, um, player, uh, a guy like Dwight Howard, who obviously is not what he was a decade ago, but is still a, a very good defender and a powerful player. Like there is, there is a ton of guys um, or there's these three guys on on the Lakers that are just they're make going to make it very tough on Jokic and shout out to Jokic because he's still even in game one where he sat for a lot of foul trouble like he still ended up with I think like like 21 points in that game I mean and then he comes back and he has 30 points six rebounds and nine assists um here in the game in game two like he's done everything you could hope that you, you he was going to do and it just kind of it's just barely wasn't enough uh, in the case of in the case of this game in game two. The problem that the Nuggets have though is, you know, they they played really awful in the first quarter. They couldn't get any shots to go down. Um, that was that was a, a they couldn't really defend LA that well. They weren't really stopping the transition as much, and it and it, and it hurt them. And they fell behind. They gave up twenty nine points that quarter. They followed up by giving up thirty one in the second quarter. So their defense was really lacking in that first half. And the thing about the Nuggets is, is it's so funny uh, because it's for such a long time. The Nuggets have always been an offense first team, but like they're not going to outscore the Lakers. Like they're not going to beat the Lakers at their game. It's just, just, they're just too good at that. Like the Lakers are just too good in transition. They want to run the ball. Like you're going to have to uh, play it a different way and and they're not going to be able to outscore them. So they they you see in the second half, right, they really kind of lock in and they played they played much better defense. They really prevented the transition. They got the game sort of in more of their style of play. And that's when they made their comeback, right? So for for the Nuggets to, to kind of win this this matchup, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to be the more slow and methodical team. Um and and play that type of pace, that's what's going to work better than, for them. And I don't know that necessarily uh, a guy like Paul Millsap is, is the best choice for that. I think when I look at these bigs, this is, this is where the Lakers are taking advantage. Like I said, it's, it's really on Paul Millsap. You know, he was a, uh, he was actually a plus nine, which is interesting in, in the game uh, again, in game two there. But I, f- I feel like, there's just, like I said, too much size to give up there. And, I, and so I wonder, like, if, if do you consider making a change in your starting lineup at this point? And do you consider going to maybe Mason Plumlee? I know – look, I know and we'll talk about it. I know uh, on the last shot and what you're thinking. But Mason Plumlee can at least bother the the Lakers and make it more difficult for them, for them to um, – specifically Anthony Davis, make it more difficult for them to uh, do what they want and – Gives you a little bit more of that matchup on size on size because the thing that that also was killing them and that killed the Nuggets, the number one thing that killed the Denver Nuggets, um, in Game Two, is thirteen offensive rebounds, including none none more crucial than uh, the one they got there in the final moments of the game. So they they've got to find a way to try and put more more size, more more rebounding ability, more defending ability on on the Lakers bigs because it's just it's just killing them uh in this matchup. And the the thing you know your one choice is obviously Mason Plumlee you got a couple other choices. We're, they're not gonna play bowl bowl. Like they're not if there was a moment to play bowl bowl, if there was one moment to play bowl bowl, it was in that last inbounds and put him on the inbounder, right? He's got like a seven nine wingspan that probably would have been uh, a consideration that they maybe we should have maybe should have gone with but They're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna give him thirty minutes guarding Anthony Davis. Like they're just not. This is. It's he's not ready. And like I'm fine with that. But the thing you think about. So like, do you put Michael Porter Jr. out there? Do you go back to Michael Porter Jr. uh, instead of Paul Millsap and and at least hope that he can in some ways keep at least keep guys off the glass? Like he's not gonna be able to defend Anthony Davis either. But you know, you maybe put Jokic on Anthony Davis, um, and you let and you let. Michael Porter Jr. banged down low with McGee or or with with Dwight Howard, whoever it's going to be. You know, it really kind of an interesting game in that the the Lakers played a lot of small ball. Uh, played about half the game in small ball in game two, and I think that's that kind of worked in the Nuggets' favor. I would have liked to have seen more Michael Porter Jr. Um, in that game he ends up only playing 20 minutes scores 15 points in those 20 minutes and and he kind of and coach didn't go to him a lot down the stretch which i thought was interesting because i thought i thought he was playing really really well i mean he was making uh he made some defensive mistakes that that certainly is going to happen with with mpj we know that but like he gave gives them so much in terms of, of of that third scoring option and he gives them so much in terms of rebounding that like, I, I wonder if you're not better off having him out there instead of Paul Millsap. It'll be interesting to see because Paul's a veteran. Um, it, It's really tough to bench veteran in, in kind of crunch time moments like these or in, or in big games like these, it kind of maybe puts a bad look on your team in terms of trying to chase other free agents in the, in the off season. Like, Hey, you know they 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 gave that guy 30 million bucks and, and he was a huge free agent signing and then you know benched him in the Western Conference Finals like it's not the best look but i don't think you can be too concerned about your look in the offseason right now i think you got to be concerned about winning game 3 um and and i don't know if Paul Millsap is is the guy the other thing about Michael Porter Jr is they just got to find a way to get him more involved you know like nine shots is not enough it's just not enough for him and and they've got to They've got to find a way to to take some of these other shots that guys are getting. and and, and Nine shots was the third most on the team, which is where he should be right now. Always in the top three in terms of shots. But you've got to find a way to just get him more involved because the one advantage that still the the biggest advantage the Denver Nuggets have in this series is can they out-duel the Lakers bench? And the Lakers bench isn't going to get – a ton of minutes, right? But you know, for the 20 minutes that Kuzma and Rondo and Caruso are out there, like that's that's your opportunity. That's your opportunity to to overwhelm the Lakers because you've got a much better bench than they do. You really do. I mean, and we saw it again, right? We saw it with PJ Dozier like and, and I'll get to him in just a little bit, but like the Nuggets have a lot of depth and and the Lakers don't necessarily have that. They're going to rely a ton on those starting on that starting unit to get them through. And they've got to. The Nuggets have got to find a way to make make it hurt when when those other guys that I mentioned are out there. You know, when even Dwight Howard, when he's out there, like like make those guys the ones who have to work. Um, and I think the best way you can do that is by really maximizing Michael Porter Jr. Like I would, I would really in Game Three heavily try and get him involved uh, to the point where I don't care if everybody else on the roster outside of Murray Jokic and, and Porter takes more than two shots a piece like i don't care get get find a way to get each mike porter junior jamal murray and nicole jokic over 15 shots each um and you i think that that's probably your, your strategy to win because he's he seems to be picking up steam right he was he his shot was not falling in game one at all um, but then in the fourth quarter in garbage time like when they basically you know then they gave him the ball and said all right kid like it, it's all you Jokic and Murray are going to go ahead and sit out this fourth like Michael Porter Jr. played really well and he was he he forced the action and he he was the best player on the court for for big stretches there in that in that fourth quarter of game one. He follows it up and comes back in game two, and he's very, very strong. Once again, has has a, a really good performance, a really efficient performance. You know, 15 points on nine shots in only 20 minutes. And, and picked up four boards there. And and you wonder, you have to wonder, like, if Michael Porter Jr. is on the court in those closing moments of the game when Alex Caruso bricks that three, is Michael Porter Jr. the guy grabbing that board? Like, you know, and that's that's something that I think. The Nuggets just need to address. Like we we talk so much about his scoring and on the positive sides and his defense on the negative sides, but I don't think we pay enough attention to how much he can affect the game with his ability to be a rebounder for Denver. I mean, he's it's either him or Jokic. One of those two guys is the best rebounder on the team. Like and it, and it's not particularly nobody else is particularly close to those two guys. So in a, in what when you watch your team just get completely killed. Uh, on the offensive glass, when when Danny Green is grabbing three offensive rebounds, when javel McGee gets three offensive rebounds in twelve minutes, like that's that's not good. That's that's a tough tough way to overcome uh, a team as good as this one. When you give them that many second chances, the best person I think they have the Nuggets have at mitigating that is Michael Porter Jr. So I would like to see him. I mean, I would. I think at this point you're you're pretty your your backs are pretty much against the wall. I know we we it's so hard to count out the Denver Nuggets. I get that, um, but you're at a point right now where like you ha- you're in a must win scenario in Game Three. Your your lack of size uh, at your power forward position is probably your biggest weakness right now, and you've got a guy on your bench who's getting twenty minutes a game who's shown that like. He can score and he can rebound, and yes, he's going to struggle defensively. But you know, like like that—that's part of it. at this point. Like, you got to make that question: like, is it is it better? Are we better off dealing with the defensive lapses in order to make sure that we get that we get the the production on on the glass and, and in the scoring column? And I think at this point, you you it's worth trying. At least I'll say that. Last thing to to talk about this uh on, on this game before we'll we'll head to the we'll look at game three in the second half of the show uh pj dozier uh great great performance from pj dozier he was a guy who played a lot early on in the bubble when everybody was still coming back he kind of got squeezed out of the rotation in once the playoffs started but he's made a couple appearances he's definitely coaches uh ace in his sleeve if you will or wild card off the bench that he can use try and give some team some energy and pj excuse me, BJ played fantastic down the stretch. I mean, he was, he was forcing the action. His defense was great. He was being, he was the aggressor um, with the ball in his hands. Obviously the one thing that really hurt was one for five from the free throw line. That's, um, that's a killer. And, and, and nobody, nobody is more upset obviously about that than PJ Dozier. I think you can see when he, you know, he threw the ball after Anthony Davis buries the shot uh the, the he chucks that ball uh into the into the i don't even know what you would call it. it wasn't the stands but back behind the basket probably into the video board maybe broke something expensive um he he was clearly very upset uh because he understands if he hits his free throws nuggets to win that game so or even just or even just goes four or five just shoots 80 percent you know then the nuggets uh, win that game. So P- PJ Dozier is is probably the more upset than anybody about about the missed free throws. I don't have any concerns about him cleaning that up. Um, but I thought he was was an absolutely outstanding player, and I think the Nuggets one of the most underrated things that we will see have, have happened. Um. In in the 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 delay or that it probably gets lost in the coronavirus, right? Pandemic shutting down the season and then delaying it. Um, and then the whole bubble and everything else. And now this, this playoff run, the thing is probably gonna get lost in all of it is, is the the move, the very smart move, the Nuggets did to make sure they got PJ Dozier under contract, um, and, in into a full guaranteed contract and not into a two-way contract like that. That is key because I feel like this guy is a definite part of their future, uh, is a definite, um, key role player on on a championship team like I I really feel like he's going to be that guy I think the Nuggets obviously are going to have a a uphill battle to try and win the title this year they're certainly still in it they certainly still have a shot at it so he could be a key you know have key moments in a a title run this year but going forward he, he gives the Nuggets something that is that is really really valuable which is a player who can who can run your offense who can who can create for others who's got a little bit of scoring in him um, but who at the same time you know I mean PJ Dozier plays point guard more or less or is listed at a point guard and he's 6-6 and, and he's got quite a, a pretty good wingspan to go with it like that is an he is a guy who they can deploy um, on ball off ball and can play one through three and defend one through three and and that is something that that is is a commodity to have in this in this league. So when you look at how when they look at inevitably whenever the season ends, whether it's this this round or or, or next, um, when they look at how are we going to improve our team, I think obviously there, there's not going to be a lot for the Nuggets and lot not a lot that they can do in terms of. Free agency, they're they're going to be pretty pretty cash strapped, and and we're not sure what's going to happen with the cap, anyways, next season. So they're going to probably have to look at, you know, can we improve with some trades? And PJ Dozier makes a lot of guys who who could be nice pieces in a trade uh, easier to lose, right? Like you you feel better about losing a Gary Harris or a Will Barton or a Monty Morris. If, now that you've got PJ Dozier, because like he can step into any one of those guys' roles. Now probably the hardest one for him to step in would probably be Will Barton, right? I don't know if you're ready to to basically anoint PJ Dozier as basically your uh, your third scoring option, or I guess now now that we've seen what Michael Porter Jr. has done, your fourth scoring option, which is probably a guy coming off the bench, right? We all assume Michael Porter Jr. starts next year. Um, Probably at the small forward, we're we're hoping obviously the Nuggets re-sign Jeremy Grant. I think that's certainly something they're going to uh, work very hard to get done. So you you're looking at next year, and and the really the only question I think you have is well, who starts at the two guard? Is it Gary Harris? Is it Will Barton? Is it Drew Holiday? I've you know I've been talking um, with some people in the media who who are connected down there in New Orleans, and I've been told that the Nuggets will be very interested. Um, in pursuing drew holiday this offseason so if if that's you know and, and i guess that's kind of what i'm talking about so if like let's just use that as an example if you're going to get drew holiday from the pelicans we're going to have to give up something um in in pretty decent you know I, I think the pelicans are probably ready to move forward with lonzo ball and in our at this point probably more willing than ever to give up drew holiday so you maybe you don't have to give up as much um particularly considering where his contract is at but you know, do you got to put together a package of a, of a Will Barton, um, and, and a Monty Morris and uh, the, to make the con- to make the money work. Uh, I've, i figured this out. There's, there's, there is a way to get Drew Holiday and make the money work that doesn't mean trading both Gary Harris and Will Barton. Um, and I feel like maybe, maybe you can't do it with Will. Maybe you got to do it with Gary because Gary makes a bit more, but, but regardless, you know, if if the Nuggets were going to trade, let's say Gary Harris, uh, you know, a, a, as the key piece to in a Drew Holiday trade, well, Gary Harris on his own is not going to be is not going to be enough. The Nuggets are obviously not going to trade Yo Ketchum or Murray or, or Michael Porter Jr. at this point, and I'm guessing they'd rather not trade Bol Bol either. So you know, a player like a Monty Morris, like a young a young point guard like that, like that, that's something that could be a, a second piece, and then you know you throw in a pick. Um, and you and you start and you figure out what else you got to put in there to make it work to make the money work, um, but that's that's something that you could you could potentially, you could potentially entertain or even if you had to give up Gary Harris and Will Barton like. You would feel better knowing now that you've got PJ Dozier in, in your back pocket. So big shout out to Tim Connolly and the group for getting him signed. I think it's already paying dividends as we saw, uh, in game two here. And I think he's a big part of this Denver Nuggets future and is, is going to be a key, a key role player. Probably will never start on this team, but, um, a key without injury, at least, but a key role player, a key bench part of, or part of your bench rotation in, in a type of, and that's the type of player you want. Um, if you're trying to build a championship roster So big shout out to PJ and the front office For making sure they got that deal done Before the, uh, before the season ended Alright, let's go ahead, let's hit the break And when we come back, we'll spend a little time Looking at game three And how the Nuggets can bounce back So stick with us, we'll be right back
0: We've all been there Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire Front Range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: Welcome back into the Pickaxe Podcast. It is Zach Mikosh flying solo. Gordon Gross taking the day off to deal with the Anthony Davis buzzer beater blues. <sighs> Let's get into it real quick. I said we're going to move on to Game Three. Let's get into the final play there. A couple of things, obviously, I noticed, and, and some people also point out. Matt Moore was pointing this out um, on Twitter. The, the The big talk is, of course, Mason Plumlee loses Anthony Davis. Sort of, he he. Goes to LeBron uh, on the play where who's being covered by Jeremy Grant. Uh, you know Matt Moore pointed out like you can see before the play starts, Jeremy and and Mason conversing and kind of basically talking about what, what they wanted to do. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure that's all on Plumlee if there wasn't a miscommunication. Uh, between, between Grant and Plumlee, or if that wasn't just the intent and that Jokic would just have to fade back coverage. Cause the fact of the matter is, they defended the shot pretty good. Like, Jokic was there. Like, he, he definitely had a hand in, in Anthony Davis's face. Anthony Davis just made a better shot. Like, that's, that's what it comes down to. I mean, he just hit a big shot and, and that's, um, Sometimes you just gotta tip your cap to those guys. It stings. It stings really hard because it's a game you fought back and you had, uh, and you feel a lot better today about the Nuggets' chances of advancing if they're, they're the series is tied one one instead of being down two games to none. Um, but I don't know that we can necessarily one hundred percent put the blame on Plumley there. The other thing that I would say about that that inbound that I, I wonder, and I'm not saying this is what they should have done, but I do wonder was what I was talking about before. Like, do you put ball ball on the inbounder there? Um, Seven foot nine wingspan, you know it. It it's a a certainly a consideration. I think that you you should make. Uh, and I don't know that maybe that gives you a little bit more freedom to to put Jokic on on Davis, uh, and maybe he does a little bit better. Because that's a funny thing. It's like now I look, I feel better about uh, Nicole Jokic covering guys than I do most people on on defense now, which is just shows the the growth. Well, one shows how how. Um, overrated the whole the whole criticism on on Jokic's defense was from the beginning but also just um I think it shows you know the, his development his continued development as a player and as a star player in this league um but that I think also just putting ball ball on on the inbounder would would have maybe maybe would have given them um a little bit more help you never know I mean you know the the Celtics, um, put Taco Fall on Kyle Lowry, who was inbounding that ball in when the uh, Raptors were down 02, about to go down 03 to the Celtics. Um, and Taco Fall is huge as well. And, and Kyle Lowry still lobbed that thing up over him and got it over to OGM Noby, and obviously who hit that shot. So, you know, you don't know how much of a difference it would make, but it was just it's just something I thought of. Somebody also mentioned to me on Twitter. They said, "Well, also, or just don't cover the inbounder." I, I'm definitely uh, of the idea that you don't cover the inbounder with like a second left on the clock. With two seconds, though, it's it's tough because you can you can certainly um, inbound and then get the ball back to the inbounder within two seconds for a shot. So I don't know if that would have been the best best way to go but just just kind of curious i wonder if they they had thought maybe about putting bowl out there on that on that inbound pass and they they don't um and they end up losing the game i guess the last thing i would say about game three is again i mean if you get the offensive rebound uh if you prevent the offensive rebound you win that game so that's that's probably uh, just as big of an issue i would say as any, any sort of issue that you would you'd would point at nason plumley for the defense so, All right, on to game three What's it going to look like? The Nuggets will be quote-unquote the home team, um, which to me doesn't really mean much uh, in these matchups, the Nuggets are going to have to find a way, a way to win, obviously, without losing any sort of boost from a crowd or anything like that. It's not like a typical, and I guess the point I'm getting at is it's not, it feels almost tougher because it's not like your typical series where it's okay, yeah, we lost, we lost the first two games, that sucks, but hey, we're going back to our home crowd, it's going to be much, you know, the series is going to swing, the momentum will be in our favor, um, it's going to be much more difficult for this team to overcome the environment. That's not really the case here. In the bubble, so I think sometimes you 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 you're gonna have to find another way. And for the Nuggets, I think the way though is is as we saw here in Game Two, because I think they should be a lot, uh, they should be really uh, encouraged by their performance in Game Two. But the the number one thing that they've got to figure out is how to play four quarters. Like that's that is what has just destroyed them. Um, in these first two games in the first game, obviously the second quarter and third quarter were awful. The first and and fourth, you don't put too much into the fourth, right? Because it was, it was garbage time at that point, but the, the first and fourth, they played well and they, but they, they couldn't recover from the lapses they had in the second and third. That's a tough, you know, that's a tough, um, it's a tough ask to ask a team to go four quarters and, and, and be basically perfect and not have any lapses. But that, that like, that's where they're at. I mean, th- this Lakers team is really good. That's that they've got, you know, two, two top five players in the NBA right now. So you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to deal with, deal with that one way, way or, or another. And so really it just means your margin for error is that much smaller. And so they can't, they can't have these, these energy lapses yes they're probably going to get some bad foul calls against them they can't let that get under their skin like they did in game 2 because again you you take your foot off the gas and and that's the other thing about these lakers team like they will jump on you in a second like it is this team wants to run the ball so much that like if you if you let up on your energy if you're not if you're not running back in transition if you're taking time to argue with the ref whatever it is like, they will bury you. This Lakers team flat out will bury you. They're gonna, the Nuggets have to find a way to keep that energy going throughout the entire game and, and really into, into the final, into the final whistle because, into the final buzzer. They, they, give up I keep going back to this but it's like you give up an offensive rebound uh after after honestly you didn't rotate very well and you gave up a wide open three at the top of the you know at the top of the three point line there to Alex Caruso he misses badly um you got to secure that rebound like you've got to you can't have those types of little mistakes will hurt you uh in the long run just like what was it how many turnovers did they have um in that game 20 no 19 19 turnovers um in the in the game which you you forced 23 okay on the on the Lakers that's great like you didn't get much of an advantage though because you you gave up 19 yourself you got to find a way to to lock that stuff up and to be hmm, excuse me to be better um you guys can tell them it's it's late for me but uh, you got to find a way to lock that up and and get that energy going because even these these, these small mental errors and mistakes, um, whether it's giving up the 13 offensive rebounds, whether it's the 19 turnovers, like if you don't, if you don't make those, and they actually had 21 because there was two team two team turnovers in there as well. So uh, if you don't make the um, the the small things, if you don't take care of those small things, like even when you even when you have a chance to win, like they did. Uh, It can come back to bite you because that's uh, you know you 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 again you you don't have the margin of error with this team like you just don't they're they're incredibly talented as were the Clippers but you don't have like like the good matchups that you did against the Clippers they're ready for Nikola Jokic like Nikola Jokic has to do everything he can just to put up a stat line like he did in game two like you don't you you can't have any, any sort of lapses or, or, or errors because they – you don't have a good matchup to fall back on. You don't have uh, – well, we've got the the talent advantage to fall back on, which you, which you could argue you had against Utah. You know, they've got they, – if they're going to win this thing, they, they've got to be basically perfect and they haven't um, – in the two games so far because they've lacked energy, whether it was coming out in the first quarter of game two, whether it was because they were getting a bad whistle in the second quarter of game one, like they have not had that energy and, and it's, it's proven to be too big of a mountain to climb uh, once, once they get themselves behind. And the other thing about it is, the what's so funny is we were talking about the Nuggets are the Nuggets are the slow it down team, which is which has never been the case, but that's the way the the thing is that, that that's what works in the playoffs, right? Like it's always the teams that that have that are running and and relying on a bunch of points in transition that tend to struggle in the playoffs because things get slowed down. Now you have to make up a play. Now you have to make you know you've actually got to execute in the half court. And if you don't got the guy who can help you do that, if you don't guy with the overwhelming talent to do that, then you really struggle. We've seen that happen so many I And mean, that was the, the, the whole story of the Nuggets uh, in the George Carl era, particularly after Carmelo Anthony was gone and they were trying to win, you know, that whole team approach. But the problem was, is yeah, they, they won a ton of games in the regular season running dudes out of the Pepsi center. Um, but when, when Golden State slowed everything down and Golden State had guys who could just hit shots, the Nuggets couldn't, the Nuggets were trying to get, you know, were relying on Andre Miller. To, to get a buckets and that that didn't work now obviously with the Lakers it's different right they have LeBron James they have Anthony Davis they've got the guys who can do that but even still like they the talent difference is not so overwhelming in in the half court that the nuggets can't overcome it and that's really the advantage before I, you know I was talking about they don't have they don't have matchup advantages. They don't, but they do have the advantage in style of play and how it works in the playoffs to where they've got to muddy these games up. They've got to be willing to get down and dirty. They've got to be willing to, to continue to fight with Dwight Howard, um, who's a punk and, and is, is, is cheap ass. And is just like, I mean, talk about, this is a bit of a sidebar, but talk about a guy who once was like one of the most intimidating forces because of his talent, because of his ability. Is now basically just a goon, right? Like that, he's a goon, you know. And it's working, so so. Shout out to him, but um, talk about talk about a guy who's who's definitely definitely not what he once was. But again, shout out to Dwight Howard because he's figured out a way where he's he's stayed in the league. He obviously went through some really rough years there, um, bouncing around, but he stayed in the league. He's found a role, and and he's he's chasing a ring, man. So uh, I guess I guess you can give it up give it up to him for that. Um, but it's just interesting to see it's what once was one of the most dominant players in the NBA has now been reduced to being a goon. Uh, anyways, I digress. You, you basically though, you, you got to lean into that. You've got to lean into the, the grinded out, tough, defensive, slow paced game. Cause that works in your advantage, uh, much more than trying to run up and down the court. If you try and run up and down the court with the Lakers, you're going to lose. Like it's, it's, they, they don't, they don't have the ability to do that. All right, last thoughts here and then we'll then we'll go ahead and get out of here today. Um down down 0-2. Uh, this makes game 3 coming up here tomorrow a a must win for the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. The 94 Nuggets got close. They did force a game 7 um, down 3-0, but the, we we we're not going to count this team out, right? And I and I keep saying that because there's there's you can't say well they can't do it, but like it's it, – the chances just become so slim and, and maybe they could pull it off but they should have the type of urgency that they had when they were down 3-1 against the Jazz, against the Clippers, that they, they should have that same urgency right now because you do not want to fall down 3-0 against the Lakers because the difference between the Jazz and even the Clippers – uh, that the Lakers is they have LeBron James. They have they have the best closer in the league. Uh, they have a guy who will flat out can and knows how to. And maybe this is maybe the difference between him and like a Kawhi Leonard. Um, knows how to flat out put the team on his back and just win a basketball game. Yeah, and and you you gonna give him four opportunities right now. You know if you lose game three, then he's got four opportunities. He only has to do it once. It's really really hard to see how. The Nuggets could come back from a 3-0 deficit. So this is absolutely a must-win. They really might be facing two must-wins in a row. I know it's funny to say that they can't fall down 3-1. But again, I, I wrote this in the in the preview of, of game one. Like you're playing with fire, you're eventually gonna get burnt. Like you've you've been able to get past it a couple past couple times. Um it's just not it's not a good strategy. So now down two-o. This is this is a must-win game, I feel like, for them um in game three. And you do have to wonder. At some point, you, you you want to stop wondering because they keep proving us wrong. But like, how much left do they have in the tank? How much more emotionally, how much emotionally, mentally, physically are they taxed to the point where they simply won't be able to just mount uh, the comebacks that that they've they've been able to do in the past two series? It's it's gonna be. Um, it's going to be tough but that being said like you got to feel confident going into game 3 right like you've got to feel like that this team can certainly pull this off because <coughs> they've done it before they've pulled off some some great wins in these playoffs against teams that are very high quality and and they've they've shown even before these playoffs started even before the whole pandemic pause like they've shown they're an incredibly resilient team that flat out does not give up. So I I think if you're if you're the Nuggets, if you're a Nuggets fan, you got to feel pretty good going into game 3 that this team is going to show up and is going to give you four great quarters of basketball which is, you know, which is what I was talking about. It, it, going to be able to execute to the point that they they get you um a victory. I, I would say, I think maybe somebody said, I think it was Gary Harris guaranteed victory in game three. I would say though, you, they, I think they found kind of the blueprint for, okay, how for beating this team, like, like game one was, and, and it's so often the case in series, right? Game one is a sort of a feeling each other out seeing what the other team does. And then you start adjusting after that. I think the Nuggets found something here in Game Two, particularly with slowing down the pace like they did um, in 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 the second half and really throughout the game. I mean, the Lakers only had eight fast break points, so they they found that if they can slow down the pace, if they can if they can defend transition, get out and run, and get back on defense and force LA into a half court game, that works in the Nuggets' advantage. So that's what I think they're going to have to carry into Game Three, and I think that they should be able to do that. And now. You know, hopefully with the resiliency of this team with, with the way they play when they're, when they're desperate. they should, they should die. I would expect them to win game three. If they, maybe it's a little bit of Homerism because if they don't, then it's, it's a, it's a huge bummer, but, um, I'd expect them to win game three and then, and then we'll see, see how game four goes, but it wouldn't be surprising to me either to see them win game four, or tie the series back up two two, uh, before we talk to you guys again, would that work out? let's see. Game three is, uh, Tuesday, which makes game four. No, I guess we would, we would be talking after game five. Um, so hopefully we'll be talking again, again, about the Nuggets. I guess the only way we won't be talking about the Nuggets Lakers series, um, entirely is if they lose in a sweep. Uh, obviously if they lose in five games, we would be wrapping up that loss next week. But hopefully we'll be back here next week talking about, you know, maybe the Nuggets have won three in a row and are, are now, uh, back in the driver's seat of this, of, of this series. So, um, don't lose hope, Nuggets fans. This is, this is the toughest challenge they've faced as of yet. But I think the the nuggets have uh, have the resiliency to come out and win, and I would not be shocked at all to see them come out um, and win. Game three here on Tuesday. All right. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter. I'm at Zach Nikosh. Gordon is at Gene Money Nugs. Make sure you're also following at Denver Stiffs. We are over on Instagram as at the Denver Stiffs. Also, uh, have our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. Make sure you are liking, following, subscribing to those and make sure you subscribe to the Denver Stiffs podcast network, not the pickaxe podcast, not Nuggets numbers. Not the Dig, not even the Denver Stiffs show. You won't find any of those uh, listed in your podcast feed. You have to find the Denver Stiffs, Skiffs, Stiffs Podcast Network. And if you are subscribed to that, then you get all of those shows I just mentioned coming to you as soon as they are released. So that is the best way to follow all things Denver Stiffs and Denver Nuggets. There is not another outlet out there that produces as many podcasts um, different podcasts with unique hosts, as we do here at the Denver Stiffs. So uh, if you want all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of different ways of breaking it down, all in one place, following the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network is the best way to do it. So make sure you guys are doing that. If you could leave us a rating, if you feel we deserve it, we would also um, greatly appreciate that. All right, everybody, we will talk to you next week.